Please stand for the reading of the gospel. Our gospel reading this morning is from the 21st chapter of St. John. After these things, a series of appearances that Jesus had made to his disciples after his resurrection on Easter, after these things, Jesus showed himself yet again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. So they went out, they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Well, just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? And they answered him, no. So he said to them, well, cast your net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. Well, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for he was naked and jumped into the sea. But the other disciple came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the sea, only about a hundred yards off. And when they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. And, and Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and he hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have some breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. You may be seated. Can I use your stamp? Oh, my goodness gracious, Kevin and David, man alive. Thank you so much for being in worship today and for sharing your gifts of music. That was stunning. Um, I wanted to close my eyes and just get caught up in the moment, but then I also enjoyed watching you play. There's just something about the beauty of it all. Thank you. They are two students and good friends at UNC Chapel Hill, and, and uh, I just hope that you will continue to share your gifts for the sake of God for the rest of your life. Uh, and for the sake of the world, because the world is better when we can fill it with music like that. So thank you for being with us today. And thank you for being here in, in worship, either online or, or uh, in person, in this sort of um, unusual time, but blessed time that is pregnant with possibility as we return to in-person worship and gatherings and, and springtime. It's just good to be, um, it's, it's good that we're in this place, so I'm glad Glad that you're here. All right, help me out um, as we begin a, a study of this reading that I just shared with you from John's Gospel. I want you to fill in the blanks. Breakfast is the most... 
<laughs> Very good. You had the same mom that I did. How about that? I, it's every morning in high school, I think, if, if I wanted to sleep in late and skip breakfast, nope, uh-uh, the same phrase would come out of her mouth. Breakfast is the most important part of the day. Commercials for the American Egg Board told us the same thing, as did Quaker Oats, Captain Crunch, Pop-Tarts, all of those places. They wanted to convince us that, indeed, breakfast is the most important part of the day. And you know what's funny? is that it seems as though they are reading from this script of Jesus, from the Gospel of John, believe it or not. Because in this same reading, Jesus tells the disciples the exact same thing. Don't skip breakfast, kids. Don't do it. And here's why. So I'd love you to turn to this reading, if you will, in John chapter 21. It's the last chapter of the book of John, and it's the last story in John's gospel. And it involves one of Jesus' most important teachings. So we, we should be looking at it very, very carefully. Now, as you've probably already noticed, the main characters are Jesus and Peter. Now, there are some other disciples who are sprinkled in there, but the main characters, Peter and Jesus, it's after the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's after Peter has seen the empty tomb and returned home thinking that, well, maybe the body had been stolen, not yet sure that the body had been resurrected. It's after Jesus has appeared to his disciples in the upper room. It's after the story of doubting Thomas, which was last week. Two stories where, oddly enough, I don't know if you noticed this, but Peter is never mentioned. Now, what does that tell us? I, I don't know that it necessarily tells us that he wasn't there, but he's not mentioned. And so, perhaps he wasn't there. We don't know. All we know is that the next time Peter is mentioned is in today's reading at least in this gospel, when he's decided to return to his old way of life as a fisherman, when he tries to go back to what's normal, whatever normal means. What he did before Jesus is what it meant for him, at least, uh, before his life got turned upside down. He says these words, I'm going out fishing. And they said to him, okay, we'll go with you. That's verse 3 of this gospel. So they went out, they got in the boat, but it was night, and guess what? They didn't catch a thing. Two words that I'd love for you to circle either in your minds or literally in your Bibles today, those two words, night and nothing. It was night, and they caught nothing. It's one of the saddest moments in Scripture, I think, to be quite honest. I mean, there are a lot of sad moments, but this is one of the saddest, when Peter is just so confused. Remember, this is after the resurrection, right? We assume that everyone, all the angels, all the people of heaven or on earth are, are shouting and singing, hallelujah, Jesus Christ is risen today. But still, in this moment, it appears that Peter is, is still con- confused, maybe even lost. How do I know? Because the Gospel of John never uses the word night without it meaning something. So here we go. Peter is in the nighttime of his life. But I've already jumped pretty far ahead. Uh, maybe, maybe we need to share at least a little bit of background. Perhaps you know, perhaps you don't, but you should know that Peter was an incredibly part of, important part of the gospel story. Some 
some call him the lead disciple. He's the captain of the team. Uh, he always had an opinion, always had something to see, say. Jesus called him the rock upon which he would build the church. Pretty significant title, I would think, that he was given. He was the courageous one. He was the spokesman. He was the one who always was at the major events in Jesus' life, uh, you know, the miracles, the healings. When 5,000 people were fed with, with uh, just two bread and five fish, the, the, the lame began to walk, the, 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 the mute began to talk, incredible stuff. He once told Jesus that, look, I would do anything for you. I would even die for you, he said, which he believed. I, I think deep in his heart, he believed what he said. We believed what Peter said. He was that kind of leader. You know, you just wanted to believe him. Well, until the night that Jesus was betrayed. You remember that series of stories that we tell during Holy Week over and over again, this passion journey of Jesus to the cross. The night that Jesus was betrayed by Judas is also the night that Jesus was captured in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was taken to trial. And I don't know if you noticed, but that's the same night that Peter and followed those soldiers who had captured Jesus and followed them to the home of the high priest. It's the same night that outside of the home of the high priest, with the, with the trial in full gear, a woman comes up to Peter, recognizes him and said, oh, oh, wait, 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 I recognize you. You are with that guy. You know, the one who's inside on trial. Two other people come up and say, wait, yeah, uh-huh, I see him too. In each occasion, Peter says, no way, not me, trying to save his own skin, denying even knowing Jesus. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know this man. And those are his last words. He disappears. Just like that. It feels like the end of Peter's story, oddly enough. I mean, Peter exits stage left. He's not there when Pilate presents Jesus to the crowds. He's not there when Jesus carries a cross through the city of Jerusalem. He's not there when Jesus dies. He's not there when Jesus' body is taken to the tomb and laid in the tomb. He's mysteriously absent through it all. Why? We don't know why except I'm pretty darn sure it's because of the word that you just circled. It was the nighttime of Peter's life. He had denied knowing Jesus, who clearly had been the most important person in his life just a few hours earlier. And I think he was incredibly ashamed. Look, I don't think. I know he was incredibly ashamed. He felt like he had let everybody down. He felt like he had let Jesus down. In his mind, he was a failure. It it was night. It was so dark in his soul. And it looks like Peter's part of the gospel is going to end in verse 3. Here's verse 3. When Peter says, I'm going fishing. So he gets in the boat. It's nighttime, and he's not catching a thing. The end. You see what Peter did? He went back to what was so familiar. When life seemed to be collapsing around him, he went back to what felt normal to him, fishing. Nothing wrong with fishing, but it was his old way of life. He had given this Jesus thing a shot, a good shot. It didn't work out. He failed. So it's time to pick up the marbles and go home. He felt defeated. 
therefore he was defeated. You know how your mind tricks you into thinking that, right? He felt defeated, therefore he was defeated. He felt guilty, therefore in his mind he was guilty. His night would never turn to dawn in his own mind. So let me ask you, have the events of your past ever had a stranglehold on your future? Let me ask that again. Have the events of your past ever had a stranglehold on your future? Has someone loaded you, maybe, with negative comments like that you'll never be successful, that you'll never amount to anything, or is your self-esteem so low that you can't believe what's good about yourself, or have you made a mistake in your past, something that you absolutely and totally regret, maybe something small, maybe something big, who knows, but something that you just mentally, emotionally cannot get over, something you regret and wish you could get past. Well, friends, that was Peter. If that's you, you've got a friend in Peter because he's telling your story. But here's the thing. Peter thought his story would end in verse 3, but it doesn't, and neither should yours. Let's keep reading. Verse 4, you remember what it says, just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach. I love that verse. Now, I feel like I say that about every other week, but, but I do. I love this verse, just after daybreak. It's the dawn of a brand new day. It's no longer nighttime. It's no longer dark, right? Just after daybreak, Jesus appears, and he's standing on the beach waiting for his friends. And, and here's what that tells me. No matter what you've gone through in your past, no matter how many setbacks you've suffered or who or what has tried to thwart your progress, today is a new day, and God wants to do a new thing in your life. He has great things in store for you and for us. Don't let the past determine your future. But how do we convince our brain otherwise? Because our brain is pretty tricky sometimes, right? No matter how much we might want to believe that Jesus or that God is preparing us for the start of a brand new thing, it's hard because our brain keeps telling us otherwise. We end up, therefore, blaming ourselves, or maybe we blame other people or someone else, or we blame another event or something. We start to shift the narrative. Maybe we even manipulate the narrative to change, to to shift in a way that that all of a sudden things get all out of whack, and, and our brain is just so confused. Well, that was Peter's problem. Is it yours? It may be. Because if it is, it's going to hold you back the rest of your life. Make no mistake about it. God, however, you know this, right? God doesn't want that for you. You see, God wants you to enjoy, as the Gospel of John is so so clear throughout God wants you to enjoy abundance of life. So if you're at a place where you need to move from verse 3 to verse 4, if you're in a place in your story, in your life, where you need to move from from that nighttime experience of fishing but not catching anything into verse 4, which is the dawn of a new day, and Jesus is standing on on the beach waiting for you, let me offer you these two principles from the story. Number one, know that God gives you all that you need. 
Let's keep on reading. Look, it was nighttime. They weren't catching anything. The sun starts to break over the horizon. The guy on the breach yells out, throw it on the other side. And so they do, and you know what happens next. They haul in a bunch of fish, uh, just a, a ton of fish. Then they recognize that the guy on the beach is Jesus. That's the answer to everything. And look what happens next. Verse 9, I love this. When they went ashore, they saw a charcoal fire with fish and bread on it. And there you have it. My mama was right. Jesus was cooking them breakfast. Breakfast, right? I mean, and, and other than the Lord's Supper, we probably can guess that this is the most important meal that they've ever had. They didn't ask for it. They didn't expect it. But he gave it to them. Why? Because he always gives us everything we need, always, in abundance. Why did he cook them breakfast? Because breakfast is the first and most important meal of their brand new day. Friends, every morning before your feet hit the ground, I want your breakfast to be this, the nourishment that you need before your feet hit the ground after, before you get out of bed, the nourishment you need is to give thanks to God for God's abundance in your life, for God's blessing of abundance and grace in your life. And before you go to bed at night, maybe this is your midnight snack, before your eyes shut, before you close or drift into some type of slumber or sleep, I want you to say the same thing, a prayer of thanksgiving for the abundance in your life, right? The abundance, by the way, does not come with wealth. In fact, earthly wealth can just trick us into thinking that that's the kind of abundance that, that, that God wants for us. No, God wants to shower you and all of us with the abundance of, of grace and love and forgiveness and, and relationship and peace. That's the kind of abundance that God wants for you, the gift that God is ready to give to you, the promise that God offers to you, the desire that is so deep in God's very heart. But there's more. So number one, know that God gives you all that you need. Number two, invest in your relationship with Christ intentionally, deliberately. Again, verse 10, fascinating verse, easy to overlook, I think. It's easy for me to overlook at least. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Peter does just that. He goes aboard and he hauls the net ashore. You see what Jesus did is sort of a psychological trick that he's playing here, and I think it's fascinating. Jesus could have gotten the fish himself. He could have been, I mean, he'd been there probably most of the night. He could have been fishing himself and had his own fish ready for them to go, but he doesn't. Jesus gave Peter the opportunity to invest some of his own hard work in making the breakfast. Look, Jesus is thrilled that you are sitting in the pew today. Jesus is thrilled that you are watching online today. Jesus is thrilled that we are joining together, all of the angels in heaven. I'm convinced, thrilled that we are able to join together in worship today, to, to surround this place, surround the fire, waiting for breakfast, to be nourished by God through word or song or relationship or community, whatever it is. But God wants you to take the next step as well. And that next step is to invest in the relationship intentionally, to be engaged in ministry here or in your community, in your neighborhood, in your world, in your family, uh, to, to, to do the hard work of hauling the net ashore. Now, I, I know, I'm fully aware that a lot of folks, they don't like the idea of investing in that kind of relationship some just want to sit around the fire and, and eat the breakfast, and they're satisfied just doing, 
doing that, but I'm here to tell you that investing in a relationship with Jesus will pay off more than you ever imagined by training your brain to claim the incredible gifts of God and to see God's abundance in your life for the sake of the world. You see, I believe, deep in my heart, I believe that God is saying that you've dwelt long enough in the past. It's time for a new start. It's time for a fresh vision to go beyond the barriers of the past into the dawn of a brand new day. You see, the beauty of this story is that Peter's story does not end in verse 3. It does not end in the middle of the night catching nothing on a boat. Because Jesus refuses to let Peter be stuck in a boat, darkness surrounding him. And he doesn't want that for us either. So, come on. Let's get out of the boat and let's eat some breakfast. Because my mama was right. It's the most important meal of our day. Amen. Amen.